but um, but onto this topic, it's, it's interesting. It's something I want to go back to uh, during this conversation. So if I forget, please bring me back sure. to it, um, because I think we'll it's interesting to know about management styles and is the style inherent in the personality of the manager or the leader, or can you intentionally create a style of doing it and then de presumably deploy it in different places, different contexts? It'd be quite interesting to judge. Um, yeah. Anyway, folks, uh, we're live. Welcome, everybody, uh, to one of my favorite things to do. Uh, it is Founders Focus, folks. Uh, this is the uh, midweek show where we uh, speak uh, to the business leaders who are changing the way in which we uh, work today. Um, uh, this has definitely been something that has been such a learning curve for me um, because I think that when you're listening to people that have set up a business um, that have tried to create change in an industry industry sector, it inevitably these are inevitably personalities from which you can learn a great deal from. Um, so I've never had a conversation yet where I've not emerged and thought I did not know this. Um, so I'm really excited to be chatting uh, today. This is probably the final founders focus of the year. Um, and who better uh, to close us off in 2023 than Arif Abedi, CEO of Jobilon. Uh, Arif, welcome to the show. Uh, great to have you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great stuff. Um, Arif, you're a busy CEO. Um, what kind of like essential things did you have to postpone in order to join me for uh, this, uh, this hour's conversation here? <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that you assume that I had to cancel something, but I did actually. I had to, I had a session with our head of legal, so so I had to cancel that one uh, and and um, to to grab this opportunity. Great. I actually feel less bad now because I thought you might have had to cancel <laughs> something you would enjoy to interact with when when you're speaking with legal. And this is no disrespect to the person running the legal department at Jovalon. I'm sure an amazing person, but. Um, I presume not a welcome part of the uh, the function, um, which actually might introduce us to you know the job of CEO Arif. I mean it's a, it's it's what uh, every CEO I speak to they say it's a jack of all trades. You have to get across the business in every single function. Uh, inevitably, you know you have to be like eighty percent competent at everything, but you can't ever be a specialist in one fun on one bit. Um, are, are there bits of CEOing that you think you you are good at, and and what are the bits of CEOing you think actually I'm not good at, and this is where I need someone else to take on? Have you had that reflection and understanding yet? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's hard to define that that title in the in the, in the first years. I I had a hard time even saying that I am CEO because it sounds so grand, and you know, it's a very for me, sometimes startupy thing. You have five people, and then you have five CXO titles, and and there's no one to be chief of in that sense. But uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there are there. Are, I think over the years, I've learned that there are certain areas I'm good at. There are certain areas I'm not good at, and especially that I don't don't like. Uh, but I do have an opinion in most matters, right or wrong, uh, and I've I've kind of accepted that and embraced that that. That's the way I work. I, I will always have an opinion. Uh, doesn't mean that I know the answer, though. That's interesting. So there's two points you've mentioned there that's really quite uh, worth exploring. Uh, firstly, how do you know you're not good or at, at a certain task? A lot, a lot of the times people don't have 
that awareness, like they assume they're good at coding or they assume they're good at this, that, and the other. Um, as a CEO, you, you've got probably, when you uh, first sort of uh, absorb the role, there's 101 things you've never done before. Um, how do you get to the point where, okay, um, this is just a learning curve, I'll get there and I'll be good at it. Um, or actually, no, I could work 25 hours a day for the rest of my life and I'll still be average or below average at this function. How do you make that determination, Arif? Have you figured out your own method mm. on that? I think for me, it's personally what I enjoy doing and what I'm interested in. I mean, I, I love working, you know, my three passions in that sense is, is people. That's one. And the other one is just product and, you know, tech and gadgets and all of those kind of things. I think we live in a super fascinating world. And the third one is I come from a background of sales. I love business and sales. Uh, and I think if you love something, if you're interested in something, you will have the det determination to keep working at it and then you'll become good at it with just like anything else. Uh, I don't like doing budgets or forecasts because I think it's personally, it's boring. Uh, I don't know how, how that works. So I'm never going to be good at it. I can understand it and I can challenge it, but it's better if someone else does it who actually enjoys that. Uh, so I think for me, it's become... Uh, you know that distinction what do you actually enjoy doing and then you, you you'll excel at it then obviously there are some things that you have to do that you either like or don't like actually i love the legal aspect uh <laughs> we were commenting on that's like my if i if i would choose i would be probably a lawyer my next life i think it's almost cool how you can twist and turn words and, and you know win win a contract yeah very very interesting so i, I think the term is interesting before where you know, someone who's, mm. you know, you're passionate about something that translates into greater attention. Uh, that then translates into greater competence, because if you're spending more energy, thought uh, and effort towards a certain thing over repetition, you are going to increase your capability of doing that. That that's just makes sense to me. It uh, makes sense to everyone, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, very, very good. Um, how do you sort of balance between leaning on the strengths um, and 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 covering the weaknesses so for instance uh, yes you mm. know that you will not uh, you know forever be doing budgeting but there's probably a competence bar that you need to get beyond in order to operate be a business operator um of any serious business um how do you kind of uh, 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 i guess organize that so you get to that competence level Arif? Mm. i mean i think you um <clears throat> at the end of the day you have a responsibility in, in what you do in, within your role and if something is needed and and there and you don't have people around you that can do that and if it's something you are not strong with you just you just have to do it you just have to learn i mean i, I i'm a true believer that there is a simpler way of doing everything and it, and it's it's a google away sometimes i kind of uh, joke about it but i think it's you can always do something good enough to to get to the next step and once it becomes a repetitive task and a need for it then then you you should hire someone who can do it way way better than than you have you've ever done it yourself but you have to do it end of the day if it's needed you have to do it yeah and and also as a ceo of course you're the you're, you're the main recruiter of the business up until at least a certain size and scale uh, so presumably you've got the ability to make early decisions in order to say right I've done as much as I can in this area, but now it's time for someone else to take this on because I need to, to refocus. So it's like a cycle of releasing work um, so that you can spend time on, on, on other things. 
the counterpoint question to this, Arif, how do you make sure you don't get overly involved in the stuff that you really are passionate about mm. and interested in? So yeah. this this often happens on product, I find, where, you know, obviously product vision is there, but then CEO ends up getting into the minutiae of future building and all this type of stuff, and you know, maybe that's not optimal. So how do you kind of pull the reins back on that? Yeah, it, that one is definitely hard. And uh, I struggled with that a lot in the beginning where I felt that, you know, I'll, I'll do that. It goes quicker. Uh, let me just handle that. And I think it's a level of, you know, you want control of, of everything and you don't want to let go. And you, you think that you'll do it faster and quicker. I think for me, it reached a certain point where you you just couldn't do it. Um, and I remember this specifically. I I there was a certain department and function of, of my job had to do with a lot of our kind of existing customers. And I literally handed that off to, to, to my, to my colleague who's today, who's today within the, within our management team. And it was the best thing I've ever done because within a day, I literally saw that not only did she do what I did, but she did it so much better. And I think that's, that's for me when the, the shift hits in terms of like, you need to delegate and it's okay if you delegate, it doesn't work. Then you just figure it out. But I think after that, I, I, I truly do think and try and delegate as much as possible. I can still be passionate about something and be involved from time to time. But the last thing I want to do is being a bottleneck, uh, which you become if you're, if you're going to be involved in every single thing. It's, am it's amazing that you immediately visualize that moment, Arif. It, it sounds like it was quite an important point in your own development as a leader of a business to be able to. Absolutely. Like it's almost like handing over. I wouldn't say handing over your child. That's obviously not the same. But it's 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 the sense of this is mine. I've taken care of it. I, I, can you tell us a little bit more about when you realized you needed to do it? Uh, so I, it's uh, dealing with customers. W was it breaking uh, when you were dealing with it? Were you overwhelmed? Like how how did you know you needed to to make this move? Uh, I mean, I think a part of it is that you become overwhelmed uh, that you can't give you can't do it hundred percent the way you want to do it. Another thing, in my case, I was lucky enough to have a person who just took it from me, who was like, you're not going to do I'll, I'll take care of this. Um, and that's another way, right? Someone else just takes it and just runs with it and then comes back and it became two times, 10 times better than, than you ever thought it would be. Uh, so that's another way of kind of getting that revelation that, oh, oh, I, you know, I never kind of approved that, but that worked and that worked great. And, and you know, fast forward that relationship today, the way that works is that if that same person comes up to me and like, we have a problem, I literally ask her, do I need to know? She's like, nah, then I, I, I just don't think about it because I know she will fix that. That's a very nice, but that took also 10 years of a lot of, you know, it takes time to build that type of um, connection or relationship. Yeah, there's a trust, there's a relationship. There's also a personal quality, though, as well. I mean, when you mentioned that, okay, here's a person that can come in to the CEO, who, by the way, obviously is the boss of the business, and then actually take it off that person's hands, immediately I felt, wow, what a godsend this person must be. Um, yeah. Because this person helps. It takes work away from me. doesn't doesn't generate work. So there's certain people out there that kind of create work for everyone to do, and it's like, you don't want that type of person in most contexts, but definitely not in the context of a, a rapidly growing business. What you want is a someone who reduces effort, reduces work, and can kind of get rid of problems. 100%. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately elevates the business. Uh, so I, I think that's where the key is. It's not about reducing 
admin, that's just kind of a side effect of it. It's more elevating the business and the impact that, and the value you're creating as a, as a company. How do you identify someone with these qualities, Arif? Like if I'm recruiting, people listening to this will probably think, yes, I absolutely need to recruit these problem taker away types, but no one lists mm. that on their CV. Um, you know, it's, it's not mm. a, it's an intangible quality. Like how do we identify those qualities? Have you, have you tried to find this and, and what's the technique if you, if you've got any thoughts on this? Mm. I think it's hard. Uh, I mean, we have <clears throat> nowadays people in our team that are so much better than me when it comes to, you know, finding these qualities in a, in a proper way, you know, back in the day it was gut feeling and we're all in the, in the, in this space, hiring based on gut feeling doesn't exactly make sense either. But I think, um, in my experience, it depends on where you are as a business, but I always loved people with potential rather than, than, than experience personally, because you have this sort of hunger and willingness and, and your potential is so huge and if you, however, it's it's a two-way street, right? You can't just <clears throat> expect that from them. If you can create a culture where people can fail and that's fine and you have that psychological safety, I think you see some of these individuals just picking things up and, and running with it. And and that that is created over time. So, you know, you always have your gut feeling, is this going to work out or not? But 50% of them do, the other 50 don't. But I think it's more about the journey, how you create that 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 kind of environment and, and having people grow into that. Yeah, very, very interesting. There was an interesting tweet thread that I read from this. I forget was it was a VC guy or a CEO person. Um, uh, but he was talking about uh, trying to identify what he called high agency candidates. Um, and I immediately thought, I know what he means by this. It's, it's someone who basically is not sitting there and wondering who's going to solve the problem, um, but understands yeah. that they actually can deal with this and go ahead and deal with it. And he listed a load of questions that he asked people to try and surface up whether this person is high agency or not. I can't quite remember what those questions are, but I'll circulate it to the, uh, to the people here because I think it's actually really interesting. Definitely, really. Not, yeah. Not, not to say this person knows everything there is to know, but I just thought, okay, there's most people are still looking at experience, for instance. If not experience, then there's a bunch of like, you know, competency-based questions, all this type of stuff. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but at the same time, are we looking for the, the real uh, capabilities of performing um, uh, when you can't predict what the problem might be or what the essential task is, is, is going to be? So um, excellent stuff. Um, Arif, let's rewind back. Let's jump back in time pre your CEOing era. Um, uh, were you always going to set up a business and, and run something like this? Or, you know, was this a, a plan for young Arif as a kid? Or did this just happen as a, as a, as a, as a circumstance uh, on your life journey? No, this was not planned. And uh, I, I never thought I would, um, uh, you know, start a business in, in, in that sense. Uh, I stumbled into this world, uh, uh, you know, uh, almost literally. I, I had um, so I studied engineering, uh, not not programming, but like mechanical engineering. And my biggest fear was to have a job that I don't like, because uh, I heard people, you know, oh, it's Sunday, I have to work tomorrow, and you know, oh, I, one day you get to retire, and that that freaked me out, because like this is what you spend your time on. You can't be like that. So I, I, I you know, went to all sort of interviews, um, ended up in a career with, within sales. 
And I thought sales, that's not for me. I'm an, I'm a, you know, I have a master of science. Sales is pushy. That's not what you do. Uh, but obviously I didn't know what sales was. It was the best thing I've ever done. Uh, learned how to, you know, run, uh, do sales, how to conduct business, how to talk to a C-suite kind of level stakeholder. Um, so, so that company, uh, the, some people within that company basically started a business 2010 that had the name Jobilum, uh, which I joined. That, that Jobilum was a completely different product. It was a different company. Everything was different. So I joined uh, this organization in that sense early on from, from day one uh, as, a, as an employee. And I was in charge of sales. Uh, and then long story short, a lot of things happened there and, and uh, we changed and I had a lot of input on stuff, et cetera. And, and literally one day I had a breakfast with the, with the chairman of the, of, the, uh, of the company back then. And he said, uh, you know, you'll take the CEO, CEO role from tomorrow. And I, I was like, I don't understand what that means. So I, I literally ended up just here. <laughs> and, and then today's job loom is very different. Today's job loom is part of thing, something I've co-founded and I'm part of, et cetera. But it's, it's been a journey. So I had no plans uh, of doing this, um, <clears throat> but I'm very grateful that I got this opportunity and ended up doing it uh, and, and would, uh, would do it again. Yeah, amazing. I, I actually didn't know that, that timeline. Um, and, and I want to take us back to that conversation with the chairman. When he first dropped the bomb on it and said, hey, Arif, what are you going to be do tomorrow? You're going to be CEO. Can you remember what your reactions were and, and, you know, like, was it excitement or was it fear? How did you feel about it? Uh, my first reaction was fear, I think. And my first reaction was, will I be able to keep this job longer than the one before me? <laughs> that was my first fully transparent reaction. That was my goal in the beginning. Like, make sure my LinkedIn is, is you know, you have CEO long enough so it doesn't become weird. And then 13 years later, I'm, I'm still here. Amazing. 13 years. Tell me about this. So obviously the company has changed in that time. Um, what was the, the big pivot uh, to where mm. Jobalon is now? And, and can you give us a bit of context what that was and, and why you kind of made that decision? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also been one of our kind of the, our most defining kind of points in, in our history. And, and, and everything that has happened has literally defined the culture and the business and the way we run things today. But, but Jobalone was, um, you know, it's always been an HR tech. The, the, the first product was a job board. It was, uh, our idea was to create a, a glass store for, for Nordics, basically, very simply put. Um, so none of us came from HR. It was just an opportunity that, uh, you know, with, from a business perspective that this could be interesting. This was like pre Indeed and pre, you know, all, all of those things. Uh, so it made sense. And that's where the name comes from. Jobalong comes from a play of Babylon, which was like the center of all knowledge. And the idea was to have, uh, you know, the job board that everyone would go to because you would find information about jobs, employees, uh, financial data, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that completely failed. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and a couple of reasons. And one was that we we did not know how to build a marketplace. Uh, we were good at sales. We would sell, but we were not creating a you know true value. And consumers, job seekers, did not know about us, which is critical for that for that business. Um, so we did. So we went from a very sales-driven company, and then we went to the other extreme. Now we became our second iteration. So we've had a number of pivots. Our second iteration was 
let's do a really cool hyped up app. You know, the goal was almost like, how do you get on TechCrunch? How do you get on Panda Daily? Because that's where, where it happens. So we created a Facebook app which was called Jobilon Bounty. Uh, and, and the point of that was to turn everyone into a headhunter. So you would log in and we would match your friends and your friend's friend to jobs. And this was pre-GDPR. You could do all of these crazy things. And you could, re you could re refer your friends to a position. If they get a job, you would get an iPad or a finder's fee or, or you know, something else. And that worked in the terms of the hype. So we actually, we got mentioned on Panda Daily. We got mentioned on TechCrunch. And it was like, this company is going to change the world, blah, blah, blah but zero value again. Uh, so created no value at all and that tanked as well. So I think we went from a super sales driven company to a super kind of tech driven company. And then I think we took a step back in terms of maybe we should listen to the market uh, and see what they actually need. And I'm kind of simplifying this as well, obviously a little bit. But uh, uh, so we started listening to the market and challenging the, the stakeholders and our, our finding was that, you know, hang on, no one is happy with their ATS and the job ad hasn't changed in 200 years. It's gone from offline to online, but we're still used to text plane ads that say literally nothing about why you should work for the company and it's very hard to apply to them while we still all agree that, you know, the candidate, it's the candidate's market. So organically, we started creating an ATS. Uh, and honestly, I didn't, I don't think we knew what an ATS was even when we had an ATS. I think the first time we heard the word ATS, we had already built a version of it, but that was completely based on listening to feedback, challenging the customer, creating based on, on that, that input. Um, and, and just a note on that, so I think that journey, all of those failures and you know, ups and downs, that defined, has defined very much our culture today because the conclusion was, what's the point of all of this? And what's the point of working so hard if you're not doing something meaningful, if you're not having fun, if you're not creating memories. And during these years, we saw companies come and go. Most companies will fail. That's just the way it works. So the journey must be the thing that uh, is the most important thing. Uh, and the people you're with it, uh, uh, the people that, that's with you on the journey and so on. So that really defined the way we think about culture. You know, why, why are we doing what we do? How, how do we how do we create the environment where everyone can reach their maximum potential? How do we create, uh, you know, what we call happiness, uh, basically within within the company? Uh, so yeah, that, that that's the shorter version of it. It's really interesting how you're able to map back the the current culture of the organization to the, those historical moments that were obviously part of that the the journey. Um, and it resonates with me a great deal. I actually remember that era. I, I think you probably were at Joblon when I was at. A company called Brave New Talent, 2011, something like this. Again. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do you remember that, those guys? I remember guys? Brave New Talent. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That was the like, uh, uh, competitor is. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize, but I was the recruiter for them. Um, so I ended up like oh, wow. recruiting their, um, what from maybe from 10 people to 40. So all the engineers and all this, and I remember wow. that back in those days again trying to create leveraging the facebook network graph and okay we can actually really spider off the brand into these different places by the way people listening to this in the post gdpr world you, you don't know what you're missing guys <laughs> <laughs> because... yeah. those were the days those were the days yeah. it, it was much more fun doing product building pre-gdpr um but uh but no that's, that's so i totally remember what you're saying um but you you maintain the history of the company the cultural memory of those moments 
Um, and now you've got this kind of view uh, that actually um, you have to make sure that the journey is um, is, is, is mentally positive uh, for people who are on it um, and not one of these where you're, you're crunching people towards whatever goal you think is right because actually you don't. Um, you know, you've, the failure that you've had in the past tells you that you cannot know or predict the future accurately. Um, all you can do 100%. is make sure everyone's op- operating at optimal level and high high motivation. Um, as yeah, a CEO, uh, uh, absolutely. Go ahead. Um, how do you make sure that culture stays that way? Or, or maybe that's the wrong term because culture is a dynamic also. So how, how do you make sure that the culture is healthy in the direction you want it to go? Uh, have you, can you think of examples where you've had to, you know, make decisions that had cultural impact or, you know, where, where the purpose was cultural impact? Or have you kind of let it stand a little bit and did it more through acquiring the right personalities to kind of organically build the culture? Mm, um, yeah, uh, definitely a tough one. I think uh, I don't have an example of a scenario like that, but I think one thing we've been good at, but then again, remember that that's after failing so many times in these aspects that we became good at this. Uh, I mean, we try and be very open and transparent about our culture, you know, what what, what we want to do. And we talk about it a lot, uh, whether that is in, in group uh, uh, if it's one-on-ones, which we try and do on a frequent basis, uh, and and get you know people around yourself to live that that culture. And as you say, culture is dynamic, so it will change with the people that are uh, that are in the journey. One thing uh, that I have learned is that I remember when we started the company, we had a workshop to set our values, and I remember that I I for me that workshop felt so unnecessary because I was like values, you know, let's just pick up the phone and start selling, you know, what, what's the point of values today? I'm really glad that we did that. And I don't think it's the values itself. No one has bad values. No one has, you know, be mean to your colleagues. Everyone has good values, but I think what does those values mean? Uh, so, so we try and talk about them and how do we live our values? How do we, so all of our initiatives today from, our yearly trips uh, somewhere in the world to uh, the way we set our salaries uh, to a thing we call happiness tax. So we have a lot of these quirky things. They all are a result from discussing our values and, and having that open kind of um, communication and transparency with everyone. I think that has been a key part of keeping this culture. So I remember one thing that we last year we had this decision that okay we're going to hire a lot of people now so for us we went from 25 to 50 people that for us that's a big change and one of our colleagues asked during all hands how do we ensure that we keep this culture that we're all proud of my answer to that was the reason that you're asking that question is why i think we will keep the culture because you are you care as well uh, if so, if that makes sense, I think that that has been key. That one person can't keep the culture; it's it's the result of the whole whole team. But if it's clear and in one direction, then everyone can keep that. M- my previous employer was a great example of that. We were thousand people, but the culture was identical whether you went to Tokyo, Stockholm, or London. Everyone were talking the same same language, uh, and so I think a lot of it comes from from there. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, would you say, so it's, it's, I, I totally agree, by the way, that if we kind of just scraped all of the cultural statements from every employer that's published them, we'd probably end up with pretty consistent, you know, almost like cliche level values, right? So I think everyone agrees with Absolutely. this. Absolutely. But, 
By the way, I'd love it if someone did set up a business that was like for mean, mean, <laughs> you know, please do this. I would like to hear from you. Does it work or not or whatever? Let's, let's, let's see. It. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the, the manifestation of them. Like, how do you actually live them? How do you actually pull the, the values off the wall, so to speak, and actually breathe and, and live them in, in, in the business? Um, that's the determining factor. And as you say, being able to talk about the culture so almost the, that meta culture cultural conversation is step one to doing that um the last three years have obviously been very challenging for culture particularly with the shift to remote um and i don't know sort of what the situation is with job Elon in terms of your working conditions but there's a lot of people out there that are probably listening and thinking you know what culture was i wouldn't say easy but more obvious to, to do when everyone was in the office all the time and you know, you're spending quite intense time 30 40 hours a week with the same people inevitably you're going to develop a culture um uh, but now maybe that time is certainly less we're, we're distributed more some have gone completely remote What's your thoughts on a remote hybrid on premise um, on the with a, a kind of a culture a cultural lens? Is it harder, easier? Like, what's your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so, so to give some context, uh, like when COVID happened, we we were pretty remote already. Uh, so, so, so we didn't feel it in the in the same way. But <clears throat> initially, going back to those early days, we were a very like on-site company, eight to five, etc. Um, and uh, I can give an example. Once we hired a person who's still within the company, who when she got hired, she told me that she likes to travel. I didn't reflect more on that because I like to travel as well. And then two weeks in, she said, hey, I'm going to travel. And I was like, oh, you're, you're taking a vacation. Uh, and her answer was, no, I'm actually traveling to somewhere and I'm going to work from there. And for me, this was like, I didn't, I didn't understand that. Like, what do you mean travel and work from there? We, we try to get people here. But then this was also very much in parallel with these discussions of happiness and culture and, you know, what's the point of what we do. So, so I realized that, you know, everyone, or I thought that everyone is different. So obviously this, this uh, gives her the best opportunity to reach her potential, et cetera. And we did that and it, it worked great. So she, since then she's been traveling around the world and she works uh, you know, from a, from a remote place. Uh, it started there from us. And then uh, we, we did the same thing with a developer, et cetera. And we realized that, you know, hiring talent, if, if you want to do it on a global scale, it's just so much easier because talent is global. Uh, so we started, you know, doing it remotely. Uh, today we're 50 people. Half of us are not in Sweden where we are based. And uh, the other half of people that are here, they don't they, they don't come to the office. Basically, it's it's the office is just a meeting point. So I think for us, it's been working really well. But I think it's important to be. I don't think there's a right or wrong. You just have to be clear what applies for your company. In our company, we we're not remote remote first, or I have a hard time with these words sometimes. But I feel like we are just uh, remote friendly. Do your job. And it doesn't matter if you're here, if you're there, uh, how you work, what times you work. It just has to make sense. If you're a developer, you don't need to work eight to five. If you're a sales rep, you do kind of need to work when your market is up. So as long as you can do your job and it works for you, because that's the flip side that people, I think I've seen this sometimes that people come here, they're like, wow, this is amazing. I can work from wherever I want. Six months in, they are bored because it's not fun to just be by yourself at home in front of your computer. Um, so for us, I think it's about being clear. This is how we work. Uh, and, and our culture is, um, 
as strong, I would say, online or you know, on site. Obviously, it's easier to do things when people are here. But we had a, had a great uh, moment the other day. <clears throat> One of our colleagues came here from, from the Netherlands. Um, and he was like, hey, man, this was like a waste of time because the culture is just as the same as it is on Slack. But now I just don't have time to do my job, <laughs> which was a fun like comment. And, and it was a good thing to hear because uh, everyone is on Slack for us. So when we sign a deal, everyone looks very boring in front of their laptops but within slack it's parties and emojis and gifs and you know all of those things so that's where we live and and that has worked for us really well yeah really really great description and by the way folks didn't you like the term remote friendly that's the first time i've heard someone say it but i'm gonna i'm gonna use it arif so so i think uh it's a it's a really useful and accurate description of what i think a lot of companies would like to get to so rather than like hard mm -hmm. definitions as to we're remote only, remote first, et cetera, those types of things, which kind of feel like like big rules, right? Like big red lines to people. Yeah. And that's like already communicating something that's uh, about your culture when you have red lines like that, but remote friendly. So in other words, you prepare to work with people if, if they want to have uh, some sort of uh, flexibility, then you, we're gonna try and find an accommodation that works best for optimal performance. Uh, really great term. Um, Let's um let's zoom out from the the company a little bit, Arif, and, and look at the the wider marketplace. Um, obviously, it's been a a really uh interesting and difficult, challenging year for a lot of people in the recruiting space. Um, uh, what are your uh, what's your analysis as to where the the world is in terms of uh, recruitment in general, and then in recruitment technology in particular? Mm. Well, I think I think there's a lot of exciting things that are happening in this space. It's it's such a fun space to be in with in right now, and it's almost hard being a tech company because you want to not pivot, but you want to oh let's do that and let's do this feature and let's do that. And if you're an ATS, it, they sometimes joke about it. it's like having a 747 Boeing. There's like so many buttons and stuff to take this thing off. Uh, so you have to stay focused. Um, so so. Uh, that's super interesting. I think it's absolutely been a tough year for, for a lot of us. Uh, we primarily work towards enterprise customers. And I think that there's been a couple of interesting points there because an enterprise client cannot uh, not have an ATS. They, they will need an ATS no, no, no matter what. And from their perspective, it's not the most cost, you know, it's not the highest cost in their HR kind of tech stack if you compare it with uh, payroll or HRIS, et cetera. Uh, so we have been trying to, as much as possible, see this as an opportunity, because if you're not high, recruiting as much, then you actually have finally time to review your ATS and you actually can implement. And, and that is true. So we are seeing more RFPs, et cetera, uh, but the processes are taking longer uh, than, than we, we are used to. Uh, and and um, cost is a, is a very big factor today. It's, it's never been a, a, an issue, you know, two years ago. Uh, now we're discussing a lot of like cost and budget cost, uh, budget cuts, etc. Uh, so I think, how, how do I summarize the question or the answer in that sense? I think it's all about like how do you how do you identify opportunities because it is tough. It's tough for for everyone. But I think I truly think in within all of these challenges, there 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 are certain opportunities that you need to find and you need to double down on on those. So rather be kind of, you know, offensive as much as you can than, than kind of defensive and starting cutting costs. And you've got to do those two, those things as well, which we do. Uh, but I think you win a lot by being offensive too.
Yeah, it's just, again, a, a version of the high agency person, high agency business, right? Like, are you taking control of the, what you can rather than passively just absorbing what the, 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 the external environment gives you? Uh, and by the way, I think the, as you describe, it does resonate actually, actually mirrors a lot of recruitment experience that people have had where they're saying, we're getting more conversation with candidates, we're, we're talking to a lot, but it, the, 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 the cycle is longer. So uh, everything it, yeah. is taking more time. Um, so whereby previously you might close uh, a candidate in what 30 days is taken 45. Um, the same it goes with software purchasing or whatever decision. Um, just more decisions need to be made internally. Um, and yeah, very key that everyone is um, on do more less type mode um, and, and examining uh, sort of where where the money is going and so on. Um, keeping with the external yeah. view, um, uh, what are your thoughts? Obviously, this year, last 12 months has been uh, the, the year of generative artificial intelligence, obviously being crazy in the news over the last couple of days as well. Um, what's your view as a product maker um, about artificial intelligence, Arif. Um, uh, how do you see it? How do you see it impacting per roadmap for companies like Jobalon? Uh, where do you see artificial intelligence appearing within the platform as far as the, the users can, can see it? Mm. I mean, uh, in many ways, I, I, I think, first of all, it's super exciting. I, I love these things. I'm a you know, gadget tech kind of nerd in that sense. I, I, I sign up on these things all the time. Um, so I think it's super cool. And I think, uh, you know, in many ways, it will change everything. For me, for me, it's like when we talked about 10 years ago, social media, and everyone was like, social media, it's like, it's a new thing. And you didn't know, like, what to do with it. But it's just part of everything, right? So I think AI, same thing, is just going to be part of everything to, to on, on different levels. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of cool um, ways of kind of implementing and uh, in, uh, in in different tools today. What, what I don't see is um, you're kind of like, I think there's a lot of companies that are disregarding the compliance and privacy issues. We're just running with it. And I think that's, that's an issue. Uh, something is going to happen, you know, without a doubt. And then people will take a step back. Uh, and, and especially, I think we come from this world because we work with enterprise customers. So compliance and GDPR has always been a unique selling point for us. It started as something we we feared. What is this thing? But then we learned it really well, and now we actually we sign customers because we know GDPR really well. So from our end, we can't just plug in AT, the job job loan to open AI and just you know do whatever we we, we want. Uh, we would love to. But we have to do, you know, so, so I, I'm super interested in kind of responsible AI. Like, how do you do this in a proper way that actually creates also value? So there's a lot of cool things we see, but I haven't seen so many that are super valuable. Uh, I've seen one or two that I myself really like in different, not in HR tech only, but in different, different spaces. And I think the ones that are really creating the biggest impacts on, right now are the simple, simple kind of uh, implementations of, of some sort of AI. Uh, while the big and cool ones are more like fluffy and, you know, it's, it's not creating real true value yet. So I'm really excited about what, what's going to come. And I have no idea what, you know, what's going to come. I don't think anyone has. Um, so I think we're literally just touching the, the surface on this. Yeah, I, I think it, we're, we're, we're at individual level, we're at individual experimentation. We've all played with it outside of our you know, professional roles, let's say. Um, I think a lot of uh, com uh, functions have not operationalized it 
um, in any way. Um, and I think mainly through compliance reasons, um, because it is, it's, it's new innovation. So it's, it's, a, it's ahead of the legislation. Um, but we kind Absolutely. of know, generally speaking, that there's going to be a future problem here. Um, and we have to be super careful if we start building processes around uh, new technology that we think will may fall out of compliance at some point, um, then, you know, we're, we're going to have to rework that and rebuild and all that type of stuff. And that's maybe not what we're going to yeah. do. So there's a, a kind of a breaking period right now, still individual experimentation, um, waiting, I guess, uh, for more clarity on the legal side and or maybe some rollout at enterprise level, platform level, where Microsoft is going to roll out a bunch of stuff as and you know, we'll have AI. Where and and I mean, <clears throat> yeah. That's something that that uh, hit me just the other day with everything that's happening with OpenAI. That how, in a way, fragile the system can be. I mean, you have so many companies building their businesses on top of another one in in this world, and then suddenly, you know, the CEO might leave, and that might change everything within that company. And that has that can have so many ripple effects. And and just something I never thought about. Uh, and and I started thinking about it these days when you know with everything that's happening. Yeah, this last weekend, I think it's caused everyone to think about it. Um, you know, if you've built something on top of uh, Open API, Open AI's API, you're probably thinking now, actually, we need to have a parallel system um, because yeah. we have no idea what the score is. Um, and yeah. it is incredible. I, I think it's uh, so, sort of a strong argument for, uh, you know, the, the, the Facebook or the meta uh, uh, vision of an open, open source uh, large language model, no one owns it, and it's mm. kind of impervious to these factional, uh, you know, what looks like quite an ugly factional dispute. Um, but it seems that uh, current status, it looks like Microsoft might simply absorb a lot of the human capital from <laughs> OpenAI. Yeah. And it, it actually, suddenly we have a monopoly. Suddenly we have like a mega monopoly, uh, which is yeah. probably not optimal, right, everyone? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, Absolutely, yeah. There we go. Um, okay, cool. Um, let's um, talk about entrepreneurship, um, Arif. We had a really good conversation online, like prior to this, prior to this uh, uh, founders focus, where we're talking people. Okay, we're now in a moment in the economy. Whenever there's turbulence, there's always like a, a emergence of new people setting up new businesses. I set up my first business two thousand and nine. You know, that was a great financial crisis time. I was like, right, I need to, you know, there's no chance getting a job. I need to just set something up myself. Lots of people setting up on the entrepreneurial journey today. What lessons do you think you can impart to those people that you've learned in your career path to date? Particularly, you know, now that you're a, a CEO of a, of, of a thriving business, um, what sort of tips or, or, or recommendations would you give to someone just starting out like first time? They've never done it before. They've been an employee and now suddenly mm. they're not an employee. Mm. Uh, so a couple of ones that for me that comes to mind is um, definitely trust your gut more than, than you think. And it doesn't sound scientific at all. But I think when you are starting a business, you're such a believer in something. And, and sometimes it's just hard to express what you're envisioning in, in that sense uh, so i think staying true to your gut feeling and just go with it but then also obviously own the result whether that that is a failure or a success uh, that's something i that that's one thing i would say uh, yeah we talked about this yeah go ahead 
No, no, I, I was just going to agree with you. I, I, I yeah. underestimate my intuition all the time. In fact, I'm so bad at doing this. I'm now second guess every second guess. Um, so I've lost yeah. touch with my intuition, which is not what you want to what you want to do. Because I no longer trust my feelings, right? Because uh, I'm missed the yeah. an analysis, um, and that's actually bad because sometimes you're going to miss opportunities that way, um, or you're going to walk into a trap that you your your body tells you not to do this. But all of your logical processing says, I can't see the trap, um, but you don't realize that your map is not accurate. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something I, I wholly, if you, if you ever, if, if you're in communion with your intuition, never lose it, you know? <laughs> but, no, um, absolutely. And, and I, I have that as well. I mean, it happens all the time. So I try and remind myself that at least be very clear in what I believe in. I think we should go this way. I just want to say that. Uh, uh, so that's that's step number one. Step number two is you know how much do you fight for it and and just do it, but or, or sometimes just do it. I've been in scenarios uh, years ago, especially you know in the early days when you're trying to figure out you have you have a board of directors telling you go left, and sometimes I did go right because I was like I'm still gonna do this thing, but if it doesn't work out, it's on me. But if it works out, I can go back and kind of like express what I meant in a, in a different way. So I think trusting your gut or, or executing on your gut, I think in the, in the early days and you know, throughout the journeys is important. Uh, another thing uh, I would say um, that I wish we would have done more is to say no. And this could be like an example of this would be try and really find which customers you should not have. And, and, and because it's so tempting to say yes to, to money right because you're building and we've always been bootstrapped so if someone wants something and you can do it you kind of want to say yes uh, and there's been a lot of good things with that 100 that's why we are here we are today but being uh, um having the guts of saying like you know what i think there are others who can do this much better for you uh in a long-term perspective that is so valuable uh, and just focusing on what you're really good at yeah, really, really good point. This is a hard one to learn for entrepreneurs out there, especially because like my first experience of um, uh, setting up my own was actually not having a paycheck. And I knew it was coming, right? Mm. Everyone knows it's not coming, but I've had 10 years at this point of every month getting a paycheck and then there's no paycheck. And I think, wow, uh, that was like a, a moment of realization that, okay, you're on your own you have to keep uh, uh, your confidence and you have to keep uh, you know doing what you're doing um but the pressure is on um and your vulnerability to take on tasks jobs clients that you shouldn't be taking on is so so difficult so that's one of the things that yeah. i would underline what Rich said you've got to identify and understand who your customer is um, and what the price of delivering the service, what the, the cost of delivering whatever service or product is to that customer, because most of the time, for most of those people out there, it's going to be too high. Um, and you're mm. going to be basically spending too much, getting a little bit of money back, and you can't sustain that. And that's what's going to finish you as, a, as an organization. Um, okay. Uh, you got another one, the final recommendation for these young up-and-coming um, entrepreneurs out there. Uh, I, I should not say young, by the way. It's up and coming. I mean, it could be any age you could start this. Um... Uh, yeah, I, I think the third one for me would be, uh, <clears throat> we, we touched on this before, but, uh, and it's also a hard one, but, you know, delegate early on um, and, 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 and create accountability and responsibility, you know, create that ownership. And with that ownership comes accountability. You will never be as strong, 
by yourself. That's you know just that's just a fact. Uh, being able to delegate early on and and being several people you know running towards the same kind of mission uh, is is key for us. It took a while to 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 get there, and we we kind of learned by by not doing it. In the beginning. How do you, how do you create the accountability? So let's say I've, I'm going to delegate my company. First time I've hired somebody, I've got a partner in there. I delegate. Um, how do I make sure they're accountable to the delivery of that? I mean, a, a lot of people might be thinking, how do I actually manage their performance? I guess. Mm. Um, I, you got any thoughts on this one, um, Arif? Yeah, I, this is something we talk a lot about today, actually, and um, uh, and. and uh, I think in theory it's easy. It's harder to do it in, in practice, but I think it's all about being super uh, clear. Uh, so if, you know, when you hire someone, what are what are your expectations? It could be a junior person, it could be a super senior person, but what are the expe- expectations related to that to that individual? And and that should be mutually agreed upon. So you know, we expect together that you should be here within you know this this time frame. Uh, uh, I think that's something where, for example, we can be much better at, uh, especially in the beginning. It's easy to always, you know, come to a sales rep six months in, and you know your numbers are not where it's supposed to be. But generally, we weren't as clear in the beginning. That's where we should be because then it's super clear for everyone, and then with that comes an accountability as well because you've agreed uh, on those on those goals. So I think clarity is is one thing. That's a really good point. You could you could even use the term expectations, couldn't you? You could say, "Okay, um, Arif, we've we'll delegated this to you. Um, uh, let's agree some expectations as to you know what's going to happen at the result of this." And I think everyone's going to say, "Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. I, I would I would want this expectation as well if you delegated something to me." So it's just about being clear, yeah. clear and not assumptive in terms of does this person understand what is required because you've been doing it, you've got to articulate it very clearly um, and you've got to jointly agree um, that this is the the end state that you think is reasonable to expect um, and then yeah. review it after uh, after that time comes. Um, okay, good stuff. Let's pivot back to Jobalong, uh, the product. Uh, turn of the year is always exciting, always interesting. Um, what kind of exciting things can Jobalong customers expect in 2024, um, Arif? Yes. So obviously, AI is a topic that everyone is looking at, uh, which is something we are also following closely. Um, <clears throat> so, so that is something we are working very focused on. But again, it goes back to that kind of responsible AI as well as how do we actually create value? I think there's a difference of doing a gimmick that's great on your landing page and you can use it as sales, uh, a sales kind of uh, USB. Uh, and there's a different uh, you know, application of AI where you, you're creating true, true value for your ICP. Uh, that is something we're working uh, quite a lot with uh, that, you know, that we are expecting as well to, to, to kind of launch uh, next year. Uh, we're also doing again within our ICP a big focus for us is kind of reporting insights analytics there's a lot of these things we do today but how do you again everyone wants data everyone wants different type of data no one knows what to do with the data so there are, there are so many layers of like uncertainty when it comes to reporting this is a huge project for us that we kind of are, are looking into as well uh, those are two areas then we kind of from our you know product strategy the way we look at it is that you have you have the ATS as as the core uh, of the talent acquisition suite, and we are exploring various kind of add-ons on top of the ATS 
that would strength, strengthen your talent acquisition strategy. That could be a referral module, it could be AI screening, it could be X, Y, Z. So that's an area as well we're looking at as well. You know, how do we, how can we create even more value for our existing customer base um, by kind of consolidating more of their needs into one one suite? So, so there's a couple of different things. Then again, our roadmap is also has always been. We try and not plan things more than you know three months ahead, uh, with the reason being that we know that things will come up all the time, uh, and and trying to stay agile with the resources we have. And that's something that has brought us the success we've had so far. So there's a lot of ideas, but then it's also you know really listening to the market, but also challenging the market, and then based on that, make a decision and and ship something out. Excellent. And and t- tell us a little bit about the market plans. Um, uh, right now, obviously, Jobberon, uh, strong in the Nordic, strong in territories in, in different parts of Europe also. Uh, are there particular markets you're interested in? Is there a particular customer profile that it would, would, would be most interesting uh, to connect with uh, for, for Jobberon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, today we 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 primarily work with companies with 500 employees and upwards uh, that are, however, larger companies uh, and, and with a uh, international presence. So, we do have hiring managers in 80 countries actively working with our tool today. But most of them will boil down to kind of Scandinavian contracts, and that through them we have uh, expanded to other accounts. We this year started uh, targeting also uh, the Benelux region as an area, which has been really interesting. Um, we actually onboarded a customer just today, one of our first ones there. So that's that's super fun. Uh, so the Netherlands and the Benelux region is is going to be a key focus. And then obviously we're looking at what's the next one. Uh, is it is it Germany? Is it the Dach area, which has its you know main opportunities and and also uh, challenges as well? Uh, UK we've looked at, but none of these are decided so far. So right now it's Scandinavia and the, and, and the Benelux region actively focusing on and then discussing on you know what's the next one overall i would say european companies are where we are uh, best because of actually the focus on compliance gdpr privacy that is one of our uh, strengths yeah fantastic stuff and it's you know we need to say a quick word about the swedish kind of hr work tech ecosystem that seems to have gone from strength to strength it's uh, you know maybe if you rewind back 10 years or so ago um, uh, non uh, people outside of uh, Sweden probably would not encounter any sort of uh, uh, work tech uh, from Sweden, but now you see lots of different products, uh, mm. ATSs, assessment tools, uh, advertising software. Um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what your theory is as to why that is? Like, what, why is this ecosystem emerging? Why have these products landed so well outside of the mm. core market? Mm. I think part of it is that uh, Sweden has had a strong tech scene and then a strong history, you know, going back from and not only Spotify, but go to Skype and Ericsson and Ikea. It's, it's always been a strong entrepreneurial kind of history, uh, not in Sweden only, but in Scandinavia. And I think if you combine that with the fact that HR, that, that space is such an opportunity. So as an entrepreneur and within, you know, tech, you will you will find these these opportunities. I mean, like our us in this case, we none of us came from HR. It was just a interesting opportunity where you could create a business. And there are so many things in this space in the HR tech kind of world, and that's why I think we're seeing a lot of ventures coming from here um, because they have always come from here, and now this space in itself is very interesting. 
can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with that ecosystem? I, I do support each other as like, oh, let's all go together uh, and conquer the rest of Europe. Um, or did you like have antagonism? Yeah, we want to be the Swedish, Swedish champion here. Um, how, no, 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 not at all. I mean, it's such a friendly space, to be honest. Uh, and uh, I mean, you know, you have companies like um, uh, Alva Labs, RefApp, Trust Group. These are all like within the HR tech space. We talk to them on a daily basis. Uh, but also your competitors. I, I love talking to competitors and, you know, with the CEO of another competitor and like, how do you guys do that? And how do we do this? And I think generally tech companies that are more modern are open to, to talk. Uh, you know, there, there's no point of you can rip with pride. It doesn't matter. You're going to do it anyway. So, so there are just so many synergies if you just talk. I think it's more fun when these like legacy vendors try and sneak in into your app and, you know, pretend to talk to you in the support that, you know, they are that's them etc so i would say it's, it's, a, it's a very it's a very friendly scene and, I, and I, I love that i think we're we're so much stronger together and it's definitely not winner takes it all in this space no and the the, the ats marketplace is is fragmented for a reason it's not it's not a yeah. uh, uh it, it's not a failure of the market that is fragmented it's simply that the needs of different companies are very different and you'll always have optimized tools for certain sectors regions even like um, uh, do, sort of where you're at as a business, you know, uh, if you're a, yeah. a, a company that's just, you know, trying to, to sprint fast at zero to 50 people, you, you need a different product compared to uh, a mature organization that's, you know, uh, maintaining, you know, it's, it's workforce. So you got a very different sets of solutions, not one size fits all. So I think um, the ecosystem overall is going to be very, very healthy. Um, okay, a final question for you um, before we let you go. I know you're very busy, man. I'm always conscious, by the way, whenever I do a founder's focus, it's like, how much money am I costing this company uh, by taking away the CEO <laughs> for an hour? It's like, <laughs> I feel really guilty. Um, but what busy things are you doing at the after, after this call? What, what's, what's on the CEO agenda for you rest of the day, uh, Arif? Uh, what is on my, I have to check my agenda. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm jumping into a sales call in half an hour, uh, a demo, demo call. So I'm very hands-on still. I love to, love to be that. And then we have a session uh, with our product manager, and then I'm having a dinner with one of our colleagues. So it's, uh, and then tomorrow I'm off to Amsterdam to meet my other colleague and go for meetings. Fantastic. Um, well, Arif, a uh, very best of luck with your rest of your day and safe travels for your journey Thank tomorrow. You. Uh, it's been really great uh, having a chat with you and learning more about your journey and also about your product. Um, for people that are interested in Jobalon as an ATS, how do they get in touch with the, uh, I guess it's Jobalon? com is the the website is the best place to, to go absolutely jobalon.com uh, or dm me add me on linkedin if you have any questions about that or anything at all happy happy to connect fantastic stuff there we have it folks it's arif abedi a ceo at jobalon on founders focus thank you very much for your time arif thank you hong thank you for having me have a good one Wasn't that great, everybody? Um, I told you the most interesting conversations happen um, at the level of uh, people who've set up companies trying to change the way in which we work today. Um, that was episode 40 of uh, Final Focus with Arif Abedi, CEO of Jobalon. Uh, we'll be bringing this series back um, in 2024. I think it's a super interesting one and also valuable for the community. Uh, if you are interested in uh, uh, conversations of this type, make sure you follow the channel. 
Um, uh, we do uh, these midweek when we can, um, as well as, of course, Spring Food Lives on Friday. Okay, that's about it. Uh, have a good day, everybody. We'll see you next time.